Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. There is a verse that Luke put into the book of Acts which summarizes the four gospels in one single verse. I didn't send my notes ahead of time, so there's no verses. Um, If you're the kind of person that likes to grow in your faith, I'd encourage you to pull out a phone or a notepad and take some notes. Um, If you don't, that's fine. Uh, Lukewarm people get spit out of the mouth of God. So good luck with that. I pastor in Texas, but I'm actually from New York. Have you picked up on that yet? My church struggles with me sometimes because they're actually from Texas. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, one verse to summarize four gospels. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He, Jesus, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. One verse to summarize four gospels. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing some that were oppressed by the devil. Oh, snap. Oh, you guys have the Bible version of the Bible. He healed all that were oppressed by the devil. Can I ask you a question? In 2022, if Jesus is in heaven, who's responsible for accomplishing that mission on the earth? If Jesus is in heaven and there's more than a million people in the Indianapolis area that could die and go to hell, who is responsible to continue the work that Jesus began, doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil? It's our job. It is your calling in life. Well, you, well, Pastor Russell, Pastor Beverly, I just don't know what God's call in my life is. Do good. Heal all that are oppressed by the devil. That's God's call in your life. No, 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 no. I know. I, I, didn't, I just meant what college to go to, what job to work at, what house to buy. Yeah, I don't care about any of that stuff. The call in your life is to do good for the kingdom and to heal all that are oppressed Make that your prayer. Jesus said it this way. I tell you the truth, uh, John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth, anybody who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And then Jesus says, nah, fam, you'll do greater works because I'm gonna go be with the Father. If you believe in Jesus, you'll do greater works than Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Well, I will say this, you can't do greater works than Jesus until you start doing the same works as Jesus. I should do this for a living, I'm pretty good at this. There is, see, I'm trying to stick to the page. Your mission in life is to do good and to heal all that are oppressed by the devil. Tonight I'm gonna talk about healing and the theology of healing. Because sickness is an oppression of the enemy. Sickness is not a gift from God to teach you a lesson. I don't know where that terrible theology came into the church, but God is a loving father. I have three children. And, oh, I forgot to introduce myself. (laughs) My wife and I have been married 26 years. We love Jesus. We raised three kids to love Jesus. My oldest is in world missions. My middle is in Holy Ghost commercial real estate and married. Uh, He did, you laugh, but 
there's no difference between the sacred and the secular when Revelation chapter one says that we are both kings and priests. So you think, well, I just drive this truck. No, you drive the kingdom of God wherever you go. You're a minister of the gospel all day, every day. And sometimes you get paid to drive that truck, but usually you're just carrying the kingdom wherever you go. So when I say that my son is a Holy Ghost commercial real estate developer, I'm, that ain't no joke. They, they'll buy and sell pieces of land, but not before my son walks it and hollers in tongues for an hour or two until he knows and he knows that he knows that their company's gonna make a profit. He was also very smart. He married the boss's daughter. So my son is 22 years old, makes far more money than I do, and owns a home larger and newer than my home, and has not given me a grandchild yet. He's only been married seven months, but I'm, I'm over here like, in two months, mathematically, there could have been a grandbaby, and there's not even two lines on the, the pregnancy test yet. I know, because I'm buying them at Sam's Club, and just leaving them out. Take a test. I love my children, and when they were little, I loved my children, but they sometimes needed to learn a lesson. I never gave one of my kids cancer to teach them a lesson, because I'm a loving father. So when the doctor says, hey, I've got some news back from those test results, God doesn't give sickness to teach us a lesson because he is a loving father. Ever since Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve have opened the door to the devil in this world and sometimes we get sick and sometimes we die of our sicknesses, but that doesn't mean that God is teaching us a lesson. Of course, God can use sickness to teach us something, but that's not why it's there. It's there because it's, it is something that the devil is doing on the earth. So Jesus healed all that were oppressed by the devil. That is your mission in life as well. And here's where some people push back and go, yeah, but Jesus was God. Well, first of all, I'm very glad that you understand that part of theology. But I'm gonna read a verse again. I've already read it once. It's Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. It's a verse that Luke used to summarize four gospels. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit power. Luke was a doctor in the ancient world. He was a smart guy. He was a very detail-oriented guy. He was very careful to say God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say God anointed Jesus of streets of gold and pearly gates of heaven to do miracles on the earth. Because he was inviting us, highlighting to us that it is humanity that needs to be anointed with Holy Spirit power to release the works of God on the earth in healing in particular. We need this anointing. Jesus's Godness didn't need anointing. His humanity did. He was God in the flesh for 33 years. Your humanity needs the anointing of God. That word anointing in the Greek um, is the word, it's a phrase, it means to smear. Um, the other day, um, we went out on a friend's boat and it was super Texas sunny, 94 degrees, just a terrible day to be on the water. Um, but um, I realized that I haven't seen the sun since, you know, like last year. So, uh, and looking, you know, with my Irish, Scottish, you know, heritage, I needed some sunscreen. 
And when you use sunscreen from a year ago, like somehow like it, it, it turns into like a thick mayonnaise-y, you know, whatever. So I just took last year's amount and started smearing it on, realizing that it, I was anointing myself and it was gonna take a while to get that anointing to rub in. That's what God wants to do to your humanity is to anoint you with his Holy Spirit and his power to do the works of God on the earth. So yes, we're called to heal the sick, but not without being anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. People go, well, Jesus was God. Listen, if Jesus was the only one who could heal the sick and he is now in heaven, we would go, oh, bravo, Jesus. Thank you for healing all those people in the Bible. Too bad you're in heaven because we have sick people on the earth. No, it is an invitation for us to do the works that he did, to continue to do what he started. We're not spectators, we are meant to be participators. Everything that Jesus did in scripture is an invitation for you to explore. You ever have more month than money? And you're like, I don't know that there's gonna be enough money in my bank account to make it to the end of the month. Well, when the Lord was in those situations, he prayed and God, he multiplied food for thousands of people. It wasn't a small multiplication. You just need an extra couple hundred bucks to get to the end of the month. You ever think about praying and asking God to multiply your beans and rice that are in the, the pantry? $5 gas, y'all need to move to Texas. <laughs> Golly. I feel like tomorrow when I get back on the plane, the captain's gonna pass the hat, take up a collection for gas to get back home. Man, Jesus help us. That's why he rode on a donkey. All right, let's talk about healing. I, I, I get nervous talking about healing because sometimes people are like, I know, but like, I've prayed for people to get healed before and it didn't happen. So I, I get a little nervous about stepping out and praying for healing. Listen, God's not asking us to do something we're good at. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have to learn how to do this thing. Um, in fact, he's asking us to do something that we're incapable of doing. Did you know that? Like, he sent the disciples out in Matthew chapter 10 and verse eight. In Matthew chapter 10, the disciples still cussed a little. You know what I'm saying? Like, they weren't, it hadn't been Matthew chapter 20-something. We're still in Matthew chapter 10. Like, they love Jesus, but they still cussed a little kind of guys. Like they were still learning and working out their discipleship. And he says, I want you guys to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give it away. Did you notice that he didn't say, I want you to pray for the sick to be healed? I want you to pray for the demons to come out? He just said, do it, just heal the sick. Raise the, he said, go raise the dead, not pray that the dead are raised. He said, go heal the sick, go cast out devils, go raise the dead. That's God's call in your life. Heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. Well, that's 2022, we don't have devils. Said the devil. I love making people feel uncomfortable in church. Because the longer I do this, my comfort is seemingly unimportant to the Lord. He'll often ask me to jump off a cliff of faith 
and lean on the comforter. Because you and I can't raise anybody from the dead, heal anybody from sickness, or cast out any devils. But Christ in me is the hope of glory. You're not alone. It's kind of like Jesus is the key for healing, but we're the ones that hold that key and need to deliver it to those that are sick. That power is in you. All right, let's go back. I said I'd give you some theology on healing. Um, and I probably should have been paying attention to what time I started, but we'll go until the battery in the mic dies. Sound guy's like, battery is dying. Isaiah, this is 600 years before the Messiah, but the prophet Isaiah, he has a picture of what the Messiah will do. And in Isaiah 53, he says, surely he, the Messiah, will bear our grief, carry our sorrow, yet we esteemed him as stricken and smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace it was with his wounds that we are healed. In verse four, it says that he bore our grief. Now, I don't know why half the English translations use the word sickness and half the translation use the words grief because it's the same word in ancient Hebrew. So Jesus has already borne our sicknesses. He carried our sorrow, another word for pain. So when he went to the cross, he, he made payment in full for our healing. So when we're praying for healing today, you don't have to scream and yell and cry because God's not deaf. You simply need to apply payment for something that was paid for 2,000 years ago. And that takes faith. And I know sometimes we want to scream and cry in case God can't hear us. But all it takes is the simple prayer of faith because the payment has already been made. It's kind of like, you, it's Christmas, and you're, somebody gives you, I don't know, some electrical, some iPad thing, and you're of a generation that doesn't quite understand iPads. And um, you, you, you take the iPad uh, back to Best Buy after Christmas, and um, you say, um, hi, I'd like to buy this iPad. Listen, I'm... I'm I'm sorry, it's already been paid for. Yeah, I know, I'd like to buy this again. No, it's already been paid for. In the name of Jesus, I'd like to buy this iPad again. We yell for some reason. <laughs> Shut up, it's already been paid for. Crazy person, why are you yelling? Just figure out how to use it. So a big part of the theology of healing is just figuring out how to use it. We're his children, he is our father, he gives us gifts but he wants us to figure out how to use them. Play with them. I think I'm preaching better than Uri Manning. I'm just telling you right there, so. Can I be honest? I have seen a few miracles in my life, and I'll tell maybe a couple stories if we have time. But I've also seen a lot of people not healed. Like if I've prayed for 100 people, I've probably seen like one or two miracles and then 98 people still sick or still in pain? But can we shout and dance that two people were miraculously healed and figure out how to get that to 3%? And then play with that gift and figure out how to get to 4%? I think one of the problems is we feel like we need to be a level 10 super Christian in order to pray for the sick. We need Russell and Beverly to pray for the sick. They're level 10 super Christians. Listen, there's, there's no such thing as a level 10 super Christian. 
If you have repented of your sin, made Jesus the Lord of your life, been baptized in water, been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you are a level 10 super Christian. Like there's no other like super level, you're it. No, I know, but I didn't read my Bible this week. Yeah, okay, so maybe you're a little hungry because you didn't get your daily bread, but you're still a level 10 super Christian. You see what I'm saying? You don't need to be a level 10 super Christian to pray for sick to be healed. You just need to apply the, the price, the payment that was made 2,000 years ago. You, you are a level 10 super Christian. So just start acting like it. Why am I teaching on healing? Why do I want to give the theology of healing? Because two years ago, the government said we can't gather together or we could get fined or go to jail or have our, you know, whatever, wrist slapped. We're seeing it, and we saw it during the pandemic in Australia and Canada. They're still seeing it in Canada, though people would be crazy. So we're gathering together was illegal. Well, we've been seeing that in China and then the Muslim world for years, decades. So the church has to be underground. And they're like, well, we'll just watch online. Yeah, do you know that in like, 20 plus countries around the world, Christianity is considered a hate speech because it calls out sin in people's lives. And we know how much YouTube and Facebook like to shut down hate speech. Two years ago, never could have imagined it in my life. Now, I could see a day where in this country it would be illegal to meet and illegal to stream Christian worship services where the church in America has to be a secret underground church. And guess what? As good and Russell as Beverly are, they don't live in your neighborhood. Your neighborhood still needs a pastor. It's you. You are the lead pastor of your home. And it's possible that you'll be the lead pastor of your neighborhood. So you need to know how to read your Bible, understand what it says, teach it to somebody else. You need to understand the theology of healing so that when somebody is sick or hurting, you don't have to call somebody. You are the one that is called to release healing into your neighborhood. So that's why I want you to catch this. It's, it's not just for fun to tell stories. And, you know, I, I travel and preach for a living. I pastor a church. I speak all the time. I'm not here, like, for my own benefit. I've actually preached this message before. It's not that great. But what I'm looking for is fruit that remains. I'm looking for an 18-year-old young person to go, I have the gift of healing available to me that was paid for by Jesus 2,000 years ago, and a couple of years later, they're in work, they're in school, and, and somebody twists an ankle and it blows up, and it's purple and green, and they're like, we gotta go to the doctor, and like, we will go to the doctor, but first, can I just pray in the name of Jesus for this ankle to be healed, and they release healing into that body? That's why we're doing what we're doing tonight, is for fruit that remains. I'm not here to be like, oh, I like that guy. He was good. He was kind of funny and a little irreverent. And then, um, and then I, I, I don't care. I care that a few years from now, somebody has the faith to pray for healing and that Jesus is glorified three years from now. I'll tell a story because I'm better at telling stories than looking at my notes of my old man glasses. I was an associate pastor. I was new on staff. It was a large church. And um, we had this emergency phone. This was 15 years ago. And um, if somebody was sick on the weekends or in the hospital, you'd call this number and it would get forwarded to whoever the pastor on call. 
I was the pastor on call and it was a guy in the church whose mother-in-law was dying. And I knew the mother-in-law, I had talked to her a few times. At the time, I was in my 30s and I thought she was ancient. It turns out she was only in her early 70s. And can I get an amen that early 70s is not that old? Thank you, thank you, amen, amen. The closer I get to early 70s, the younger that gets. And I was driving over to the church, to the hospital, and I was praying, and I'm like, Lord, her name's Betty. I'm like, I feel like Betty's not that old. Like, like she should, and she's, she's a spry, you know, healthy gal. And um, so I go to the hospital, and I'm meeting the family, and it's like a, a movie, you know, scene where there's all these guys and doctors and nurses, and, and they're working on her, and they're, they're poking her and prodding her, and there's things beeping and noises going off and respirators and the whole thing. And, and I'm like, I'm brand new pastor. You know, I like the youth pastor. Like, I'm in way over my head. And um, I go over to the, the guy that called, the, the son-in-law, and I, hey, what's going on? Well, this, this is it. She's crashing. We don't even know what happened. Maybe a stroke, maybe a heart attack. I'm like, golly, Betty seems kind of young and strong to be dying. He said, yeah, it doesn't feel right to me. So then I pulled her daughter aside, his wife. I said, hey, we're gonna pray, but what do you feel in your heart? She said, I feel like this is an attack of the devil. Like, I don't feel like this is mom's time to go. I said, well, we're gonna pray like that. So I went over and there was like doctors and nurses and techs all around that I'm like, I don't, so finally I was like, hey, hey, doc, do you mind if I pray? I'm from the church. And he's like, fine. And he goes real loud, the preacher wants to pray. I had never preached. I wasn't allowed to preach. I was allowed to go to the hospital. And um, I thought they were going to leave the room. No, no. They just kind of like stepped back and looked at me. I'm like, which... Which, what you gonna do, pray? So I prayed like I pray. Like I wasn't like, thou wast father in heaven above. I prayed like me. You, you guys are getting to know me a little bit. I leaned over and I go, hey Betty, it's Brad from church. We don't feel like you're supposed to die tonight, so in Jesus' name live. And I put my hand on her head. And I was expecting like her to go, Ugh. Beep. Beep. I mean, her, her pulse was really low. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I'm not good at this. Um, and I took the, and the, 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 the doctor goes, you done? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. So I, I took the family in the hallway. And I'm like, hey, guy, well, let's just pray. And I was praying. And I mean, not even a minute had gone by. And the techs and the nurses are coming out and they're ripping off their masks and their gloves and throwing them in the trash. And I'm like, oh, she died. And the family missed it because they were talking to me. <laughs> like, I'm really not good at my job. And then the doctor comes out and goes, well, preacher, I don't know what you prayed, but she's sitting awake and asking for you. I don't know who was more surprised, the doctor or me. <laughs> she made a full recovery. I think she was out of the hospital in just a day or two. So a couple years ago, I'm in Dallas now and pastoring and I get a phone call. It's Christmas Eve and it was my friend, the guy from church. So now Betty's in her mid eighties and she had been having some health trouble. And he called and he said, hey, Pastor Brad, I hate to bother you on Christmas Eve. I said, no, what's going on? He goes, well, it's Betty. And um, 
she's at the end and uh, we've got hospice here at the house and we feel totally at peace. We feel like this is God's timing. We're, we're totally okay with it, but we kind of don't want her to ruin Christmas. We were hoping you could do that thing again. I said, put it on speakerphone. Hey, Betty. It's Pastor Brad. We're gonna let you go to heaven, but don't ruin Christmas for the grandkids. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, I'll see you in a few years when I get there. Hey, thanks, Pastor Brad. Let me, let me, let me know what happens. Okay. I kind of forgot about it. Three days later, I get a text. She's in heaven. Isn't God so fun? Isn't God so fun? He didn't want to ruin Christmas Eve for the grandkids. Isn't it weird that when we pray and somebody's not healed that we beat ourselves up and we like shame ourselves? That's the weirdest thing ever that we do that. I don't know why we do that. Because it's like, well, I just didn't have enough faith. Jesus is like, dude, faith is not the issue. Like all you need is a mustard seed of faith. The problem is you have so much doubt. So you don't need much faith. You just need to get rid of all your doubt. Most Christians look at a healing situation and we're like, I believe that God can heal, but I really doubt it. We need the small faith. We just need to remove doubt. I love the story from Mark chapter nine where a man brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples to be healed and set free and the disciples could not do it. So then they came to Jesus in Mark chapter nine and verse 19. Jesus said to the disciples, by the way, I love that Jesus is so savage. Like, I don't know why society thinks that Jesus has cupcakes and rainbows and unicorns and peace and happiness and joy. He's talking to the 12 guys that he runs with and he's like, you are faithless people. How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him the boy and when that evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child under the ground in convulsions, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Jesus said, how long has this been going on? He asked the boy's father. Well, since he was a little boy, that spirit will often throw him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. That's the same spirit behind abortion. That's the same spirit behind that shooting in Texas last week. It's that same shooting that caused Pharaoh to kill all the babies. It's the same, um, it's the same spirit that was behind Herod killing all the babies. Any spirit that wants to just kill children is a demonic spirit. The spirit will throw him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. <laughs> that's my kind of that's my kind of guy. Jesus, help us if you can. Jesus has already walked on water, he's already multiplied food, he's already opened blind eyes, he's already raised the dead. And he's like, Yeah, this boy's got a demon. I'd like you to cast him out if you can. Verse 23, I, Jesus is so savage. What do you mean if I can? Don't you know that anything is possible if a person believes? So the father instantly cried out, Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. He said, listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. It's important that he said never enter him again, and we'll talk about that in a minute. This father came to Jesus needing a miracle, but he came with like less than a mustard seed. He said, if you can. 
And Jesus didn't withhold the miracle because of his little bit of faith. So when you are praying for somebody when healing and you're like, I don't know if I have enough faith, you really don't need that much. Your, your faith could be laced with doubt and God will still do a miracle. Which then raises the question, because I think we've all prayed for people to be healed, and I, I've got people that I know that are in heaven that I've prayed for them to be healed, and they weren't. I've got people in my life, my own son, who destroyed his ankle playing soccer two years ago. We've prayed for that ankle I don't know how many times, and it is still not right. So then we ask this question. Is it always God's will to heal? Well, I'm gonna answer your your question with a little bit more theological breakdown. Well, let me ask you, let me answer your question with a question. In scripture, how many people came to Jesus for healing and left Jesus' presence not healed? So based on that example, the implication is if people can get to Jesus, they're gonna walk away healed. The second question I would ask to answer the question, is it always God's will for somebody to be healed, would be this. Are we asking Jesus to pay for the healing again? Because it seems like we already discussed that you can't go back 2,000 years and buy something again. The same illustration, a different way. Uh, several times we've bought cars, we'll put a note on it, I try to pay it off as soon as possible because I hate paying interest, and then when I'm done paying it off, the bank sends me the title. The day I get the title, it's like driving back to the dealership and being like, yeah, here's that Honda Civic that we bought and here's the title, we paid it off. Oh, congratulations, I'd like to buy it again. No, you already own it. When you pray for healing, you have to remember that it's, the price has already been paid for. He's not gonna go back and die on the cross again. He's not gonna be beaten again. It's a done deal. The decision was made 2,000 years ago that he would purchase healing for our bodies. I will say this though, there are sometimes hindrances to healing, and we're gonna talk about a few of them. The first one is unforgiveness. Healing and forgiveness tend, in my observation and opinion, to go hand in hand. And there have been people that I've been ministering to that have needed a healing in their life, but then the Holy Spirit will lay something on my heart, a word of knowledge, and I'll say, what happened in high school? Was there like a teacher that something went wrong? And they're like, tears begin to pour out of their face. And like, uh, yeah, I had this terrible XYZ thing happen. I'm like, did you ever like forgive that person for hurting you? Uh, I've just kind of moved on. Can we pray that you would forgive that person and release them of that debt? Because a lot of us have suffered pain. I went through, um, when I was a child, my dad was an alcoholic and, um, um, he left, and my mom got born again, and my dad was like, nope, and um, he left, and um, I, I was a very broken American 70s and 80s home until God began to heal and, and restore. Um, so it was in my 20s that I realized I need to forgive my dad. I need to forgive the people in my life that hurt me so that the pain of the past doesn't hurt me in the future, which leads to the second thing, Sometimes the, we don't see healing because there is actually a generational curse that's been handed down. And it's like, well, you ever see like, well, he's a drunk like his daddy was a drunk, like his grandpappy was a drunk. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not just a cute thing that follows the family, that's a generational curse that needs to be broken in the name of Jesus. Well, he was just real sexually, you know, he just slept with everybody, you know, just like his pappy. No, 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 that's a, a demonic stronghold we need to break off so that, do you want your children having the same struggles that you had? Obviously not. So let's put our foot down and break those chains why do you think it is that the doctor always asks for your family history? Well, sickness just runs in the family. It doesn't have to. We can pray and break it off in Jesus' name. I had a, I had a spirit-filled doctor at our church, uh, in, in that same church that I was an associate pastor, and the first time I met him, I just moved there, and um, I went in, and he's like, hey, you got this long questionnaire about all your family history, and they ask all those questions on the first, you know, getting to know you kind of thing. And then I love this guy. He goes, hey, well, before we move on, can we just put our hands on this piece of paper? And he began to pray in tongues, and he said, we just bind and break off generational curses in the name of Jesus that Brad and his children and his grandchildren won't have any of these medical problems that his parents had in Jesus' name. Sometimes people aren't healed because of unforgiveness. Other times it's because there's generational curses that need to be broken. A third reason is sometimes it is demonic. Not always, but sometimes. Luke chapter 11. If it's by the finger of God that I cast out a demon, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Skip down to verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it'll pass through a waterless place seeking rest, and when it finds none, it'll return to the house from which it came. When it comes, it'll find that the house has been swept and put into order, but then it'll go and bring seven other evil spirits, even more evil than itself, to dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Jesus is saying when the enemy is kicked out of a place, it's gonna look to, to re-enter. Now, not every sickness is demonic, but every sickness is of the devil in some way. So not all healing is a one-time victory. Sometimes it requires some maintenance and faith to be kept up. Our job is to fill the house with the power and presence of God to, to lock all the doors and windows so the devil does not have a foothold. All right, I need to move on. I made a note to myself, and this is good. Parents, teach your children the theology of healing because children will see miracles and healing because they don't have bad theology or disappointment from people not getting healed. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. So your children can operate in the full measure of the power of the Holy Spirit, and honestly, they're probably gonna see a lot more miracles than you will because they'll not be, wouldn't it be great if we raised a generation of children and young people that have faith for healing like we've never seen before? Golly. All right, I gotta wrap this up. I know I'm over time, but I have to give you a few more points of theology, and that one of them is communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul teaches us how to take communion. I'm not gonna read that. I'm gonna read the second portion of that scripture that we don't always have time to do on a Sunday morning, so we skip it. He said in verse 27, if anybody eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. If you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are actually eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. Verse 30, that's why many of you are weak, sick, and some have even died. The lesson that Jesus was giving to Paul and he now is being given to you was twofold. Number one, if we don't honor the power of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. We sin against Jesus' body and blood and we open ourselves up to sickness 
weakness, spiritual attack, and even death. But the flip side of that coin is this. If we will properly examine and honor the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, when we take communion, we are eating and drinking healing and freedom into our body. So sometimes somebody to be healed simply needs to take communion and mean it. If somebody's not healed, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We're so quick to condemn ourselves, but it's the devil that wants to point a finger. He's a liar, he's an accuser of the brethren. All right, let's just skip to the end. Hop up on your feet, piano guy, do your thing. Put it in a minor chord so it sounds anointed. All right, stand up, we're gonna pray. When I was um, 16 years old, I went to um, Peru on a missions trip. Now, you gotta remember, when I was 16, raised in a broken family, I was barely saved. In fact, I, I mean, like, I was barely saved. I was basically on the missions trip because there was a cute girl from my church that went on the missions trip, and I wanted to spend six weeks with her. Can I get an amen, young people? So after five and a half weeks, like, the trip is wrapping up. It's good, we're doing our little drama, you know, telling people about Jesus. We just kind of flip around on the pavement, give a testimony, and then go eat rice and beans. And um, it, nothing spectacular had happened. People got born again, got plugged into local churches, it's great. We're in this little village north of Lima, Peru, outside of town, and like everybody came out to see the Americans do their little drama about Jesus. And so we did our little drama, and then one of the kids was given a testimony, and um, um, somebody was translating, and, and all of us on the team were just kind of in a little little horseshoe-looking deal, and I'm just kind of looking out over the crowd, and there was like these stair-step things in the city square, and at the top, there was some light poles, and I'm noticing there was like a blind guy who was wearing the big wraparound Florida old people sunglasses and holding a cane and a cool, like, Peruvian hat, but he wasn't facing us, he was like, putting the good ear towards us and just listening. And for really for the first time in my life, I heard the voice of the Lord speak to my heart and he goes, if you go pray for that blind guy, I'll heal him. I'm, I'm 16 years old, I'm barely saved. I like cute girls, like, I like Jesus, I don't know if I love Jesus. And I'm like, what? So then I'm like, you know what, bet. Let's find out if God's real or not. Let's find out if I'm crazy or not. Let's find out if God's really the God of the Bible or all of this is just a big joke. So we dismiss the crowd and I go over and I grab one of the translators, another kid, teenager from the youth group in, in Peru. I say, hey, can we go pray for that blind guy? And he goes, yeah, let's go. So I go up there with the translator and I said, hey, blind guy, did you, and I'm stupid kid. I'm like, did you like our drama? I've been putting my foot in my mouth for 47 years. And the guy translates and he goes, well, I didn't see it, but it sounded nice. I'm like, yeah, of course you did. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Um, well, can we pray for you? He's like, sure. He's probably a good Catholic guy. He takes his hat off, puts it over his heart, and we're praying. And I'm like, my mom was on the prayer team at our church. I'm praying every prayer I've ever heard my mom pray, especially for sick people. You know, I, you know, I got my hand on his shoulder like you do. And one time I even put it on his forehead like you do, right? Come on, somebody. And, um, and I'm praying every prayer. And I'm like, oh, nothing's happening. 
and um, it's getting weird, you know. So the, the kid from the youth group's looking at me like, you done? I'm like, I'm gonna hear that later in life. And um, I said, yeah, I guess. And he's like, okay, and he's going to put his hat back on. And I go, no, can you tell him I'm praying and I'm believing that God's gonna open his blind eyes. And the kid's like, you sure you want me to translate that? I'm like, why not? Okay. And he tells the guy, no, the American here is praying for your eyes to be opened. And the old man takes off those big wraparound sunglasses and he kind of leans over at me. And he's like, dude, I ain't playing. Like, I'm actually blind. Like, this isn't a bit. And I looked up and his big, white, gray, goopy cataracts were covering both eyes. Probably could have seen as a younger man, but without laser surgery in 1989, you know, he, he went blind. And I'm like, my heart went into my shoes. I'm like, dang. And I didn't pray any prayer I ever heard anybody pray. I just stared into those eyes. And I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And I instantly watched those white cataracts dissolve and big, beautiful brown eyes stare back at me in total shock. We were both shocked. He just starts running and shouting, probably to go find his family. And me and the kid from the youth group were like, you saw that, right? Like, no doubt. It marked me. The reason I'm standing here in Indianapolis, Indiana tonight is because I saw blind eyes open when I was 16 years old. I know that God is real. I know that the Bible is true. I know that he wants to heal people. But I also know that sin is real and the devil is real and hell is real. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. So if you're here tonight or you're watching online and you're not right with God, if you've allowed sin back into your life, if you've allowed your heart to grow cold, tonight is your night to repent of your sin. Listen, dude, don't get, I just, I just was tuning in to hear if you were any good or not because I heard he was a guest. No, 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 that's not why we're here. We're here for you to repent of your sin and get right with God. Yes, I believe in healing of the body, but it starts by God healing your broken heart. Some of you have been through similar situations that I went through and have had terrible marriages, terrible parents. You've seen drug addiction and alcohol addiction firsthand, and it has hurt you. And you're still carrying that pain. Listen, the Lord sees your pain. But medicating yourself is not helping the situation. It's just making it worse. God wants to remove the pain and bring peace and joy and hope where you've been carrying that burden of pain. I know you were hurt, and I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But do not give the devil another moment, another minute of your life that you would carry that pain. Tonight is your night to release it to repent and ask God to forgive you and wash you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to return to the Father's love. You'd be like, well, I don't know, man. I think God's mad at me. Can I let you in on a little secret? God's not mad at you. He's desperately in love with you. You're his favorite kid. He has your picture on his fridge. You make God smile. When he thinks of you, he smiles. He wants to dance with you, shout joy. God is so proud of you. He's a loving father and he's so good and 
He just wants to hang out with you, do life with you, go to college with you, and be retired with you. And then after we deal with the heart, yeah, we need to recognize that we call on the elders of the church to pray and anoint with oil and believe for healing. But what happens when it's just you and your kid fell and has that big goose egg on their head? You're gonna call Bev to come over? Why don't you just lay hands on that little child and pray? Come on, somebody. We need to operate in faith. Only a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny bit of faith. What we need to do is remove our doubt. So I pray for 100 people and 97 are not healed. Yeah, but three were, that's pretty cool, right? So we'll just keep praying until four people are healed, five people are healed. We'll just keep praying until we get better at this. Church family, from a pastor from a different church in a different state, you need to hear my heart, I love you. And I'm just so proud that you're here on a Wednesday night, you tuned in on a Wednesday night and you wanna grow in your faith, you wanna grow in your walk with God, you want your roots to grow down deep so that you can produce fruit that remains in this city. Yeah, there's a few great churches in Indianapolis, we've seen God do some great things, but generally speaking, our society, our community is in a downturn and it's gonna take the people of God to stand up and fight for every inch, every child, every neighborhood, every street. We are the light in the darkness. And part of spreading that light is, is praying for healing and believing God for healing. So what I want you to do is ask the Holy Spirit to use you in the gift of healing. Now, when you pray that, it is a dangerous prayer. You will be walking through the grocery store and somebody will be walking past you with a walker, wincing in pain, reaching for the mac and cheese. And the Holy Spirit's gonna say, I'd like you to pray for that person. And you're gonna be like, nope because it takes such courage to say, ma'am, I, I saw you were in pain. Can I get that mac and cheese for you? And I'm a person of faith. Can I pray for you? In Texas, most people will say yes. I don't know what response you're gonna get in Indiana, but I think most people will go, sure. And you just gently put a hand on their shoulder and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for my friend to be healed, come against his pain, I just pray, Father, that, and then watch and see what the Lord will do. We wanna make Jesus famous. It's not so that you can become a healing minister and have a website and t-shirts and become, like, I hope you never become famous because I want Jesus to become famous. I don't know how you dismiss your services. I probably should have asked pastor before, but in Jesus' name, amen, and then we'll let him do whatever we need to do. Is that all right? Okay, good. I love you. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. It's good to meet you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 